This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Our guest today first got on our radar 20 years ago when this correspondent was putting together a commentary for Capital Public Radio, which is the NPR affiliate in Sacramento. My commentaries had been well-received there. They earned the station a national award at one point. But when I offered one mentioning fraud in the fiasco of election 2000, it got spiked. My mention of votes disappearing in Florida was judged unfair to George W. Bush and company. Soon afterwards, I chanced upon a summary in Harper's Magazine outlining in detail how the trick was done. It didn't change the station's mind, but it alerted me to the fact that good investigative work could dig out details the national media was largely ignoring. Investigative journalist Greg Pallast had, in fact, worked out how the purging of the voter rolls by Jeb Bush had thwarted the democratic process and denied Al Gore the presidency. Mr. Pallast has appeared on BBC Television, The Guardian, PBS, the aforementioned Harper's, Rolling Stone, and Amy Goodman's Democracy Now. He has several bestsellers to his credit, including The Best Democracy Money Can Buy. And he operates a worthwhile website, gregpalace.com, which you should be checking out regularly, dear listener. We can happily report that he's spoken to us on multiple occasions. Our discussions, while spirited, are not always joyous, because the disappearance of certain citizens from the voter rolls has really become something of, a, of an industry in this country. Greg has not only reported on it, he's galvanized actions to fight voter disenfranchisement. These efforts were especially important in the Senate elections held in Georgia last year. Greg Palace has probed other important areas, too. The fraud committed by financial vultures has been looked into, along with various oil industry misbehaviors. If you've not yet done so, you need to check out gregpalace.com for updates and to obtain some books and films that deserve a place in your home library. There's a lot we can talk about especially since electoral manipulations by Trump loyalists loom over the midterms next fall, not to mention election 2024. So without further ado, Greg Palast, welcome back to Radio Parallax. Glad to be with you again. I, um, I want to thank you for taking time to speak with us. I understand you're busy working on a new film at the moment. Yes, I am, unfortunately. And I say unfortunately because I'm back in Georgia. I speak to you from Hollywood, but I've been spending eight years going back and forth to Georgia because it is ground zero of what is politely called on NPR um, vote suppression. But uh, let me ask you a question. If someone steals your car, do you run out and say, my car has been suppressed? <laughs> no, it, it's vote theft. And that's one of the reasons why I'm barred now from NPR and, and the rest is because you cannot say that America is anything but the most wonderful democracy. And we do have a wonderful democracy in, in principle. I would just like our reality to get closer to the principle. But, yeah, so I'm working once again on Georgia. Last year, if you go to gregpalace.com, you can see a film that was released by Leonardo DiCaprio that I did on my investigations in Georgia. But the skullduggery continues, so I'm back. Well, the notion that election thievery is a concern seems to me to be going a little more mainstream. The Week magazine, which I'm holding in my left hand, has this week's briefing section titled Starting the Steal? So maybe there is some attention moving this direction. I imagine you must be glad to see that. Yes, I am, but it's still pretty weak. And one of the problems is that we've run into the latest is that because Trump has talked about stolen elections. When he said the election is rigged, of course, he, he's correct. He, his cronies rigged it. 
what's happened is that if you question American elections now or how we vote, we've got the schizophrenia. We have this guy Biden who keeps saying vote suppression is deadly, but then when you say, well, what elections has it switched? And it's like there's never been an election that's been affected by vote suppression. So then why is it an issue? The answer is that elections have been stolen, but not from Trump. And when you talk about Florida, I'm the reporter who discovered when I was working for BBC and The Guardian, and out of, I was actually living in London, that 58,000 black men were removed from the voter rolls of Florida in 2000. On the grounds they were felons. None were guilty, none, zero, were guilty of any crime but voting while black. And that's 58,000 voters. George Bush became president of the United States by just 537 votes in Florida. He was by excluding 58,000 black men. And like you say, I couldn't get that report in the U.S. without a gun to my head. I got into Harper's and Salon, and I got into the New York Times and only through a black columnist, Bob Herbert. And that's one of the issues. This is an issue for black people. That's the way it's pitched, and therefore, no one cares. Well, your, your website has a, uh, a short summary that was on another radio show that we think we probably should put into ours. The fact that Brad Raffensperger's efforts to invalidate votes in Georgia got directly challenged, uh, in, in large part thanks to your efforts, much to his surprise. Can you, can you talk about that? Yes, well, a couple of things. I'm not an activist. I mean, people think I am. I don't choose one party or another, and I'm not partisan. I just believe that who your senator or president is should be chosen by the voters, not the vote tricks. And so I do sue in court to get the information, break open the file. So I successfully sued... Brad Raffensperger, and that's his real name, not Berger, as they say on uh, Raffensperger, <laughs> as they say on MSNBC. Raffensperger and his predecessor, Brian Kemp, who made himself governor through these tricks, uh, were hiding their games. And so I successfully sued them in federal court. And uh, then there was another suit brought by Black Voters Matter, and because of my investigations, I was a key witness in federal court just describing what I had uh, uncovered in my reporting. I don't give anyone my sources or anything, but I don't have to. The source is the government's own secretive and secret records. It's very interesting, by the way, this guy Raffensperger, the Secretary of State of Georgia, has been played as a hero. Right. Frickin' hero on MSNBC and on 60 Minutes. And he is, in my experience, and I've dealt with a lot of vicious, racist Jim Crow Secretaries of State, these are the people in charge of the vote. And he is the most vicious partisan Secretary of State since Catherine Harris. And yet he's being played as a hero by Democrats because he was the one who took the famous call from Donald Trump saying, find me 12,000 votes. And the thing is, when he said, oh, I can't do that, he'd already removed 198,000 voters illegally. He just couldn't do any more without going to prison, in part because we had a federal court order on this guy, which I haven't seen reported. We had a federal court order that he had to now explain why voters are disappearing from the voter rolls. Now, he was ducking us. I did a story for the program Democracy Now!, where I did a report where we literally, he was supposed to meet with me and the lawyers for Black Voters Matter, this court ordered by a federal court is just before the, the runoff in the U.S. Senate races. And he literally shut the Secretary of State's office, which is in the Capitol, turned off the lights, pulled down the blinds, and pretended that they weren't in the office. And it's just completely nuts. 
also you could delay fixing the voter rolls before that Senate runoff. Biden won the state, and so did the two Democrats, because the word got out. There was such a, a lot of publicity about our actions and word in the street that people checked their registrations, got themselves back on the voter rolls. Not all of them. I just spoke to one Georgia voter this morning uh, who uh, was bounced and didn't get their vote back until after the election was over. But uh, it did change the outcome of the election. Again, it's not that, like I was rooting for Reverend Warnock or John Ossoff who became senators. It's, I was rooting for the voters to make that choice. I was a little unclear when you, you talked on one of these shows about how people were able to go in and correct if their votes had been invalidated, they were able to go in and correct them. How do they go about doing that? This is what shocked the GOP vote thieves. And one of the tricks that was happening um, is that when people were voting by mail, and that was about 70% were voting by mail or early, if you used a red pen, if you added your, they have something called uh, perfect match system in Georgia, which means if you registered with your middle initial, but you signed without your middle initial, your ballot would be invalidated. If you have a hyphen in your name, but it's not on your driver's license, your ballot will be invalidated. So all these ballots were invalidated by the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. People don't realize this. And the activist groups ran a huge campaign to hunt down each of those voters who had their ballots disqualified. They had a right to go into their county offices oh, and see. fix it. Okay. So if you left out the hyphen or you add a hyphen, you can re-sign it. If you used a red pen instead of a blue pen, you can fill out the ballot again. What happened was the GOP was shocked because no one ever does this, and yet they had tens of thousands of people correct their ballots. It's called curing your ballot. Is that still possible, or have they changed the law? It's still possible. In fact, here's the interesting thing. Some states have actually expanded that right. Uh, Georgia's cut the amount of time you have to go cure your ballot, though, unfortunately. But, you know, they, they're not done. They play one game after another. One, one issue is drop boxes. One thing that helped during COVID is that people could drop off their absentee ballots. Now, why is that important? I'm going to tell you something that the Democratic Party does not want me to tell you. Don't ever mail in your ballot. Don't do it. Don't go postal. About one in seven mail-in ballots are disqualified. This is no joke. MIT study says it's higher. Again, any wow. little mistake on a ballot and it gets disqualified. It's not random. When the studies are done, young people's ballots, black people's ballots, Asian Americans, very common to have their ballots disqualified. Very few white ballots are disqualified. But don't mail in. But one thing you I, I don't discourage very much, if you can't do it any other way, is a drop box. In Fulton County, which is the main county of Atlanta, Georgia, there were maybe 50 or 100 drop boxes where you could drop off your ballot. And that drove them crazy because it's convenient, right? And you don't have the danger of the post office getting in your ballot late. One guy in right. Georgia that I spoke to, remember, these are going to local offices. He mailed it 10 days in advance of the election, and then he was told that his ballot was disqualified for coming in late after Election Day. Yikes. And so one way you can avoid that is by putting it right in, the, in this drop box. Now, what they've done is, in Georgia, they've now said the drop boxes can't be open. And you understand it's like a mailbox, right? 
outside of a building. You can't accept any ballots except when the polling station is open, and the drop box has to be inside the polling station. So what's the point of the drop box? The idea is that if before work or after work, if you can't get there during the limited hours of voting, you just stick it in the box. Nope. Dinesh D'Souza, who is the, you know, the, the right-wing pundit, he's gotten a ton of money to make a film in which he's a, he says, here's how Biden stole the election in Georgia with these drop boxes. And, by the way, to prove that they stole the election drop boxes, people have been stuffing these ballot boxes. Now, understand, every ballot box has a security camera on it all the time, 24-7. There's security cameras. That security footage is public. So D'Souza and his right-wing freaks went through thousands of hours of footage, surveillance footage. So where's the pictures of people showing up with sacks of ballots and stuffing the, the boxes? They had two little film clips of the thousands of hours. One guy, African-American, of course, because you know those African-Americans, they always vote multiple times. An African-American guy tried to put two ballots into the box. It's a thin slot, so one dropped on the ground, and he picked it up and put in the second ballot. Aha! Proof! Black man votes twice. Well, no. In Georgia, as in every other state, anyone from your household or your family, you can bring in their ballot for them. That's the point, that to make it convenient. So his mother, his wife, you know, his cousin, just dropping off someone's ballot. That's more than legal. One guy dropping off two ballots, clearly a criminal. And there was another one, a black woman, who sticks her ballot in the box, then walks away from the ballot box, comes back and kind of looks under the box to make sure like it didn't drop underneath. Those were the entire two examples of supposed <laughs> fraudulent voters. But you know they're fraudulent. They're black. You know, I mean, we know that. Everyone knows that black yeah. people uh, vote sure. multiple times and whatever. You know, I mean, hey, she might not have even been an American. You know, why would, you know, uh, there's a real question. Oh my God. I have a question for you about something that I, you, you may know something about. Um, and, and this is involving Georgia. There's some some guy named Alex Halderman suing, and there's a report on the voting machines that's floating around, and there's a lot of ba- going back and forth on this. Do you, you know something about this? No, I don't know about that suit. And I have to tell you, even some of my friends on the left, I've never found any evidence of manipulation of software in a voting machine. I, I know that's going to disappoint even some of my followers, but I've investigated this now for 20 years, and I just haven't found it. There are ways that computers steal okay. elections, but it's dumber than you think. It's not like some genius who has some special magic wand or, or can sneak in and hack the programs. Because these programs, by the way, are not connected to the Internet in any way. But one way you do it, you unplug it. Or you, you screw up when they, they, it's like thumb drives. It's like cartridges and other recording mechanisms. And you just zap them so that they don't record at all. That's the trick. Not something fancy where they change your vote. Oh, you voted for um, Biden and they change it to Trump or, or Trump to Biden. That's all nonsense. But people vote like their neighbors. So if you go into Silver Springs, Georgia, you go into precincts there where you get 98% Republican vote. You go into parts of Atlanta, 98% Democratic vote. You don't need a fancy computer program just to say, well, knock out that precinct. 
And that's how it's done. In fact, Catherine Harris, who was the Secretary of State that, that played the games, that wiped out the black voters, that elected George W. Bush as president, and got your story spiked. When she ran for Congress in Sarasota, over 20,000 votes disappeared because they put in new electronic voting machines. And miraculously, where the machines lost the votes and didn't count were in Tampa, which is the Democratic black area of her district, and they didn't have the problems in the white areas. So it wasn't a fancy manipulation of machines. It's literally unplugging them or having defective card readers on the machines. And who gets those defective cards? It always strangely affects voters of color. Your website talks about the phony electors scam that GOP tried to pull in election 2020. Can you talk a little bit about that and the danger that's going to be tried again? Oh, yeah. There's three laws at issue here. There's the 12th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. There's Article 2 of the Constitution, and there's something called the Electoral Count Act of uh, 1871, I think. I had warned that Donald Trump may try to shoplift the election using a kind of fake elector scam. And because I said that, I was then banned from Salon.com. And you have to understand, in 2018, I was their nominee for the Pulitzer Prize. But they said, now, pals, you've gone off the conspiracy nut land. Trump's not going to pull a stunt like that, the 12th Amendment. And now what do we have? We have a memo from his lawyer, Eastman, saying, here's how you use the 12th Amendment to change the outcome of the election. And that's what the entire January 6th insurrection was all about. Trump called in Pence, showed him the memo. Here's what you got to do. We can do the 12th Amendment. Now, what is the procedure? Now, follow this. This is a little complex, but most schemes are. And just so you know, I was an investigator of racketeering and conspiracies for the Justice Department and U.S. Attorneys General before I became a journalist. So I'm very familiar with how conspiracies run. I'm not a conspiracy nut. I'm a conspiracy expert. Very well paid by the time by the government. Here's, here's how it would work. You create slates of conflicting electors. Now remember, we don't vote for president in America. We vote for electors to the Electoral College. And they vote for the president. Now, what happens if there's a dispute over who the electors are? Well, the answer is there's the, the 12th Amendment to the Constitution, which says, well, if there's a dispute over who the electors are from any state, and therefore there's not enough electors to choose, then it goes to the House of Representatives to pick the president. Many people say, hey, well, then I guess Nancy Pelosi gets to choose the president. Maybe it would be President Pelosi. Who knows? But no, it's not members of Congress, which is, represents the population. It's one state, one vote. So New York and California get one vote each, and Wyoming and West Virginia get one vote each. So South Dakota gets a vote. North Dakota gets a vote. Illinois gets one vote. So in that setup, you have roughly 30-some delegations that are Republican-controlled. If they were able to pull that off, challenge the electors, and throw it to the House for a vote, Trump would have been reelected. And that's why they wanted Pence to say, I've got conflicting electors in my hands. We cannot certify the vote. I'm turning this over to the House of Representatives under the 12th Amendment. And if you think that that 
won't happen or can't happen, it did happen. Andrew Jackson was shafted out of his election's presidency, I believe it was 1824, because he won the popular vote. Yep. He won the Electoral College, and then his electors were challenged in Congress, and John Quincy Adams was named president by a vote of the states, even though he lost both the popular vote and the electoral vote. And then four years later, Jackson won. Now, here's the other side of that. One, it can happen again. This was not a freak event. And I hate to say it, but if there's a guy who deserves the Presidential Medal of Freedom, it's that really strange character, Mike Pence. He really saved the nation. It's a weird thing to say that Mike Pence saved us, but he did. It's no joke. If he would have rejected those electors, I think that the U.S. Supreme Court would have absolutely endorsed the 12th Amendment process. Wow. People forget that the state legislatures from the original Constitution plan was to, they would send the electors to elect the president, and a century ago, or I guess the 19th century, they said, let's go with the popular vote. We'll let that determine who the electors are. But that's not required. Right. So what's happened is the second article to the Constitution was written by James Madison with the specific purpose of, as he literally stated, don't have the quote at my fingertips, that the worst, most dangerous form of government is democracy, and we have to prevent it. Remember, these are people who were living through the French Revolution, and they saw popular democracy as an unacceptable form of government. One of the reasons why the Constitution is such a piece of garbage as it is, and it is one of the worst legal documents that I've ever encountered, <laughs> uh, and it is, if you really, I mean, excluding the amendments. I'm not talking about the amendments. When we talk about how we have this wonderful Constitution. We usually talk about, like, the First Amendment, freedom of speech and religion and assembly and, and all these right. rights we have. The rights are not in the Constitution itself. It's in the amendments. And Thomas Jefferson was not at the Constitutional Convention. He was in Paris in support of the French Revolution, where people don't realize Jefferson not only wrote the Declaration of Independence, he's the co-author of the Rights of Man, the, the French the Revolutionary Declaration. So Jefferson was in Paris playing revolutionary. So that left Madison and Adams to basically try to take away the democracy which Jefferson helped create, which was the Confederation of States, and turn it into the United States with this uh, anti-democratic constitution. So they gave this idea that legislators should pick the electors to pick the president. God forbid we should let people pick the president. Unfortunately, that's the history, and that's why I had no doubt that the Supreme Court would say the Constitution is clear. So if the Georgia Republican legislature says, nah, we're going to say that Biden lost and send a slate of Trump electors to Washington, if we had Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, if three out of four of those had sent in alternative electors, Trump would be president, no question. Well, Greg, we're, we're kind of at that crisis moment where the, they're trying across the nation in these various states to change the rules so that the state legislatures can do precisely that. I find this to be maybe the scariest thing in the world right now that that could happen. Thank you. Yes, it is. You get a cookie for this. It's no joke. We could end up with a 12th Amendment election again. And the truth is the Constitution of the United States is absolutely clear that it's the legislatures of each state, not the voters, who determine 
the presidential electors. And that's the Constitution. Now, a lot of states have laws, for example, which say that the legislature has to certify the people's vote. So a lot of legislatures are bound by their own state laws to certify the winning slate of electors chosen by the public. But that's not in the Constitution, and if the legislature reverses that, there's nothing you can do about it because the courts will say, in fact, the courts, frankly, must say, too bad. Now, this is interesting because Mitch McConnell has made an offer because what happens if you have the 12th Amendment leads to the vote of each state, but it's still unclear who's won? Then you use something called the Electoral Count Act. And that has a, this crazy process, but it has nothing to do with democracy for choosing the president. So we think, okay, we vote, we all know about the Electoral College and its detriments. But the 12th Amendment process is even worse, and the Electoral Count Act is even worse than that. So what Mitch McConnell has offered <laughs> is to eliminate the Electoral Count Act. And while I agree with that, that don't do much for us, Mitch. And he's saying if we pass that, we don't need to pass the anti-vote suppression laws, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act or the For the People Act. What can we do, Greg? Can the public rise up and put pressure on people to, to take some steps that are going to do some good here? Well, wasn't that the January 6th insurrection, people rising up? <laughs> Here's the two things you can do immediately. Number one, don't steal your own vote. Go and vote. Because because they cannot steal all the votes all the time. They can't do it. And we saw this in Georgia where the worst, most raw, vicious Jim Crow vote trickery I have seen in two decades. And yet Biden won the state, so did Ossoff and Warnock. They overcame the steal. No, Biden did not win the state by 11,000 votes. He won the state by 200,000 votes. That would be the real count if they counted all the votes submitted and they didn't disqualify any votes. Biden would have won by 200,000. So they can't steal all the votes all the time. So number one, overwhelm the steal. Number two, personally, and again, this is personal advice, and not the big giant political advice. Always check your registration before the election. This is one thing we did in Georgia. I had billboards featuring uh, Rosario Dawson. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio put out films. We got well over 100,000 people re-registered who had lost their vote because they'd been purged from the voter rolls. And by the way, I'm here in cool California, and, we, and, and I looked at my own registration a couple of years ago. I was purged, and I simply re-registered online. Sixty days before an election, check your registration because they are purging people left and right, and it may be you. So those are the two simple things you personally can do. Vote, but first check your registration. The third thing you can do is absolutely get active in a vote protection group, whether it's Black Voters Matter or um, a Transformative Justice Coalition. Some of these you may not have heard of, but I recommend that you participate, join, donate, go with the nonpartisan groups. Don't spend your money on candidates uh, of left or right. I don't care. I think that if you want to really save democracy, donate to the groups that are really fighting vote suppression. And like I said, one of my favorites, because I'm, I'm biased, I work with them. They don't pay me, though, as Black Voters Matter. 
Well, I want to note on, on that, on a, in closing on this issue of donations, uh, do something I've never done on this show before, which, which is going to be to pledge financial support to your work because you have a proven track record in getting results. I know many people are deeply concerned that the, the future elections are going to be stolen. And I would ask them on your behalf to put their money where their mouth is. And your, I know your donations are tax deductible. I hope those will join me. Earlier today, we heard you on KFPK with their pledge drive. So feel free to make a pitch for yourself, Greg. You, you are a worthy cause. I'll tell you what. If you want to support our work, and, and remember, it's not Greg Palace. I am a team. There's the Greg Palace investigative team. We are nonpartisan, we are, and we take that seriously. We're nonprofit and nonpartisan. And if you would like to make a tax-deductible donation to keep these investigations going, please go to gregpalast.com. There's a big donate button, and we'd be thrilled to have you join and donate. In fact, if you donate enough, you get your name on as a producer under <laughs> Mr. DiCaprio's name. So do me a favor. Whether you support voting rights organizations, support the Palace Investigative Fund, or support this wonderful program, and we, sh- we do need our media outlets to stay alive, because otherwise you wouldn't hear this voice and get this info. Also, I want you to go to gregpalast.com for another reason, G-R-E-G-P-A-L-A-S-T, because you can watch where I challenged one GOP official who personally has challenged the right of 32,000 voters to vote. 32,000 voters. She's challenged their right to vote. I confronted her on camera and said, you know, because she said these people don't live here anymore. Well, understand, the voters that they knocked out, Martin Luther King's 92-year-old cousin, I was there at the polling station when they threw her out. They said she doesn't live in Georgia. She lives down the street. I went to her house. A young black woman I met who was challenged by this GOP official, never met her, doesn't know where she lives, doesn't know anything about her, but she challenged her vote. A young couple that were her neighbors, she challenged their right to vote without knowing who they are or anything about them. What we do know is that she's challenging people of color. And usually it's the color blue, but they know when you're challenging a black voter, Hispanic voter, and now Asian American voters, that's what's happening. But you can go to my website and see this see these reports, and we're making feature length, but we're also making very short films which go into these states, which warn you to protect your vote. That's at gregpalace.com. Take a read the stories, take a look at the films, and, and sign up there for the free subscription to my reports. I don't inundate you. You get one maybe every two weeks. That's it. Uh, but it's hardcore investigative material. And that's, you know, old-fashioned gumshoe reporting. Well, Greg, I'm going to pledge $1,000 to your efforts, uh, whether, wow. whether I join Leo DiCaprio as one of your producers or not. No, no, that's it. Unless you object, your name's going to be right, right on there, right on the film and the credit. <laughs> Our guest has been Greg Pallast, investigative journalist extraordinaire. We hope you can join us again soon, Greg. Those midterm elections are nine months away, and we know a lot's going to happen between now and then. So let's make sure that uh, I report on the progress or regression, maybe lack of progress. Let's aim for April. It's February now. Okay, let's. Okay, you you got me. Let's aim for April. And in the meantime, everyone, go to gregpalast.com. Very good, sir. Let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. We got plenty more. Stick around. <laughs> 